1: Welcome to episode one of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast with me, Sean Barker. And me, Sam Davis. So we've completed our podcast pre-season and are now match fit and we're ready to go. And don't worry, we're not fielding a weekend team today. You're getting the regular starters from the off. How apt, Sam. And so coming up this week on Back of the Net, we'll hear your fan thoughts on the defeat to Everton and then Sam and myself will break it down and talk about the key moments in the match.
2: And there certainly were a few. And I'll be diving into the online world to bring you a review of the AFC Bournemouth fans' comments on Twitter, Facebook and all the forums.
1: Yeah, we're then going to have our special interview with the legend that is Steve Jones. Not one, not two, not three, not four. Jonesy scores and he wants one more. So we did a great interview. I caught up with him this week and he talks about the original Great Escape, what it was like as a Cherries player during our troubled past... And what he thought about Jason Brissett. And those comments are worth listening out for. Uh, Sean will then bring you all the key club news from the past seven days. Yeah, and then on Saturday, Sam, you went down to Canthford Park Arena and uh, put together a really great feature there on the AFCB under-18s. Yeah, certainly an interesting match.
2: And then finally in the podcast, we'll be previewing the upcoming Premier League game against Watford.
1: So all that's to come on this week's episode of Back of the Net. So let's get started with your fan thoughts on the 2-0 defeat by Everton.
3: Floating. And there's an appeal and a penalty. And not too many complaints either from James McCarthy. Daniels for Bournemouth. Saved by Joel. And the fellow is right! And the Everton players
2: rush to their goalkeeper. Cleverly goes to Barkley. And with the deflection on that. Barkley for Everton. Everton corner, Oviedo to Barry. Where's
3: it going? Lukaku, almost done and dusted now. Romelu Lukaku's 21st
2: goal of the season.
0: This is David Cordell from the United States of America, just outside Washington D.C. People, relax. We're out of the FA Cup. So what?
2: Who cares? What's the most important thing this season is to make sure we stay in the Premier League. And so I think Eddie played exactly the right team yesterday. It would have been nice if we'd won. For some of the game, I thought we had a chance to do so. If the penalty had gone in, who knows? We might have won. But at the end of the day, with the money involved in the Premier League, with the money that's available next year for staying up, we would be stupid to focus on a cup competition
0: That while it's nice to win, doesn't provide you with the resources that you need to survive as a football club in this day and age.
4: Hi, it's um, Steve Wright from Bournemouth. Um, Regarding the Edmonton game, I think um, the seven changes, we we gave it a good go. I think they had a bit too much quality with a a first team out really for them, for us to to beat them. But a bit of luck on another day, I think we might have got something out to do with that goal maybe, when it was one nil down, to to make a game of it. But um, a lot of debate about the formation and the squad. But I think you've got to play that three midfield sometimes against these teams because you just get overrun and concede early, and uh, we can't can't give them too much possession. So the five across the midfield is done to stop that, and it doesn't leave a man isolated up front. But um, Eddie has changed it when we go a goal behind, all up uh, somebody on attacking, and we've we've given it a go against Arsenal second half and and Ed to the game second half. But it's it's a balance between keeping it tight, keeping it defensive. And one of the, I think, some of the home games in the future. I think we'll go 4 4 and give it a go as we need the points. But, uh, um, yeah, good effort after the sudden changes yesterday. And roll on uh, Watford and Southampton. Hi, Sam. Hi, Sean. It's Mike from Foundown here, your old teammate from Loco. Um, thoughts on the Everton game? I suppose in the end it was all a bit familiar and predictable. Another Premier League club comes down to Dean Court and does a pretty uh, decent job on us. We we're pretty toothless up front, pretty leaky at the back. Uh, always disappointing about the FA Cup, and for the second year in a row, we'll never know what could have been after a you could argue a weaker team gets put out by Eddie Howe last year. It was at Aston Villa. We were all disappointed to see a, a weaker team, and today was a bit of the same really. But uh, I suppose Eddie got what he wanted in the end. He can concentrate on the league, and onwards and upwards to Watford next week. Cheers, lads. Bye. Sammy, Sean, this is Richard from London, previously from Bournemouth Um, just watched the Everton versus Bournemouth FA Cup game could have been a completely different story Um, McCarthy was already on a yellow card when he handled it in the box, could have been sent off obviously if Daniels had scored or three players hadn't uh, fallen over themselves and hitting the, uh, the rebound over it could have been that very much a different story but did Bournemouth really want to win? So many changes, a relegation dogfight to come and it would have been a home game against the rejuvenated Chelsea in the next round. It's really for the best of both parties that uh, Everton went through and allows Everton to play in the FA Cup and for Bournemouth to uh, focus on that relegation dogfight. Sammy, Sean, all the best. Hi, it's
2: James, just walking out of Dean Court. Um, To be honest, I'm a bit annoyed tonight. Seven changes, 32 quid a ticket. I didn't pay to watch the reserve. That's more expensive than the FA Cup. Um, sorry, than the Premier League. Um, Sean McDonald and you know Kane not strong enough in the middle, no way. Um, Josh King looked lonely, was better out on the wing, um, and uh, that penalty miss. Oh my god! I could have been a different game, but overall, I'm really disappointed. Thought we could have, you know got something out of that. I suppose it is the league that counts, but highly, highly annoying. So some interesting viewpoints there and thank you to everyone that got in touch. Now, if you agree or disagree with anything that you've heard, feel free to tweet us on at AFCB podcast. But more importantly, if you want to pitch in with your opinion after the Watford game on Saturday, don't forget you can send us a voice note from your phone or computer and email it to fans at afcbpodcast.com or you can just give us a call and leave a message on our voicemail. That's 01202. 90-10-48. 90-10-48. So yeah, Bournemouth were knocked out of the cup at home to Everton on Saturday night. A 2-0 defeat, which as you've heard, left many people in two minds. Some were annoyed, others a bit peed off. A deflected shot, some suspect offending, and then combine that with a penalty miss meant that any dramatic comeback like we witnessed in the league was certainly not going to happen. But Sean, what were your thoughts on the line-up?
1: Yeah, it's, um, obviously it seems to have split opinion between making all those changes or going with what you would deem as a stronger squad. Um, I can see both sides. I mean, I guess, you know, obviously last year against Villa, we made those changes and at the time everyone was very unhappy. In hindsight, when we think about last year, do we think about that FA Cup disappointment? I don't. I think about Charlton and us winning the league. So, you know, I can see why it's done. I think the other thing as well is when you break a lot of those changes down, I think we needed to give Elphic a run because he needed to to get his fitness back. Ditto with Distan. You know, we, we are light, relatively light in the centre-back and in centre-midfield positions. So if we lose one of our starters, we are going to have to rely on one of these guys. If they haven't played at all, then they're going to be super rusty coming into it. So If you break it down, you go, okay, well, Elphick and Distan, that kind of makes sense. Everyone wanted to see a Turbay, so obviously a Turbay's come on. We wanted to give King a run. I don't know. I think think when you analyze the actual changes, for me, I think they actually made sense. The middle of the park, I felt was where we were weak. Um, You know, for for me, O'Kane this year, I think if you just look at his his ball retention and and is is his just i think been pretty poor and i think in every game that he's played i think there's been two three times when he's given the ball away where you know a sermon wouldn't have given the ball away so that with i guess in terms of the lineup that was where we are weak but again if these guys have got to get games they're in our squad they're training every week if they're not playing any games at all i mean we've all played football manager right and you get that Player that knocks on your door saying, I want out, boss. I've had no game time. So, I don't know. I mean, what did you think? Well, the thing I suppose that irks me a little bit is that
2: in these sort of pre match interviews, Eddie Howe says he's picking a team to win the game. So, he's picking these players and he believes that they can beat a full strength Everton side. So, why not pick a full strength side? Because if, say, Harry Arter played and he got injured, if what Howe is saying is true, players like Sean McDonald are good enough to be in a side against Everton. So surely they can be OK against Watford next week. Um, I do understand that the league must take priority. However, I don't know. I'm just not satisfied with the sort of authenticity of these managerial soundbites sometimes, which I don't know. They're effectively press releases where really it wouldn't hurt to say, you know, we're concentrating on the league, Chris.
1: Yeah, but I think he has kind of said that and he kind of then in the week leading up to the game he deviates and says it's really important. But I think he keeps I think Eddie's been fairly consistent in that league's been priority. I don't I don't really think it's been a secret. And I guess you know, I don't know. I guess for me it's it's the key ones which I felt no disrespect to the players but i think that really did make us weaker was those two changes in the midfield but you've got sermon that's played every minute of every game i think he's played every minute so far pretty much or at least he started every game catalyst and key to our team so if we lost sermon then we'd be really in trouble and then the other one's harriada who hasn't had the best injury record around and uh, i don't know I mean,
2: what's frustrating, in front of the BBC cameras, the world was watching, first 20 minutes, completely outplayed. Um, But then we were gifted, I mean, you know, gifted an opportunity when that Charlie Daniels corner fell onto the the arm of McCarthy and the ref had no choice to give it. And then Charlie Daniels stepped up. Now, what were your thoughts on the penalty? Uh,
1: Do you know, uh, I'm a goalkeeper, right? When he started his run up, I called it, it's going keepers left. I... There, there, there's, there's a basic principle of, of penalty taking when you're, when you're eyeing up the striker. As a really basic rule, the more curved the run, the more likely they're going to be hitting across the ball. So in which case, with a left footer, if their run is curved, it's more chance that it's going to go to your left. If they're a straighter run-up, more likely to open their foot up and put it the opposite side. So that's kind of a basic thing. But I don't know. For me, it was just... I like, I've liked Charlie's penalties to date... I think there's been there's been similarities in the way they've been hit pretty hard. I mean, I know one went low, one went high in his two goals that he scored previously. I, I worried was there can he do anything different? And I guess you could say that no he can't. I mean, they're all similar style run-ups. He makes that curve, he hesitates, he curves a little bit more for him to then open his body up I think would have been pretty hard so I mean their goalkeeper would have done their research and they'd have said well this is going to my left it was I don't know it was I, I think it's a poor penalty if the keeper dives the other way it goes in and we all talk about how great it was if I was the, the Everton goalkeeper I'd have been going left.
2: Yeah, and the rest of the—I uh, mean, the rest of the game, as Mike Brannan said, they—they they did uh, a pretty good job on us. Like Stoke did the last weekend, they were—they re- were well drilled, and um, they pretty much controlled the game. We had half chances. Uh, Dan Gosling with a header that, anywhere else, it would have been a goal, but straight into the keeper's arms. What was your thoughts on the general second half performance?
1: Yeah, I guess like we saw against. Arsenal, like we saw against Stoke, you know, when these teams get ahead, they seem a little bit happier to sit a little bit deeper, and at times it means we can look a little bit better because we're kind of coming into the game a little bit more. I, I kind of feel that's a little bit of a false picture where we say, oh, we were a bit poor first half, but we were better second half. I think the I think the teams we're playing allow us to be a bit better in the second half. I think uh, King, you know, is really showing his pace and his skill out wide, which I think is a really positive thing. And obviously, you know, there's prior to that, we had a Turbay who people have been crying out to see. And in that first half, he was he was pretty bright. Um, other than the, the shot he dragged, I didn't see too much end product. But I mean, just I know we're going bad, but what did you think about a Turbay?
2: Yeah, I thought uh, he was very sprightly, certainly injected some pace into it, had a few wayward shots at times, but um, certainly... I do like when we play wingers with pace. I mean, Puey hasn't got much pace blessing, but he, he has certainly got something else. Uh, he, you know, his trickery on the ball uh, certainly makes up for that sometimes, but you can't beat two wingers who've got pace now. I do love it when junior Stanislas is on the left now. it It's so funny that a player that didn't even get into the championship side uh last season is now my first choice um matt ritchie uh, some people said that he should have been coming he should have come on a bit earlier um but yeah Juan aturbe um i thought he did a good job he does need the minutes and um he's certainly well he's certainly done some credit to his name so uh he's certainly given eddie Howe a little bit to think about
1: we'll have to just wait and see but i, I think overall uh yeah i mean everton are a Are a good side. I think seeing Francis back on the right was, again, a good idea. Um, Interesting, going back to the first goal, um, just watching that back, I kind of felt like he was in centre-back mode a little bit. If you watch the the replay of it, he tucks in right close into the other centre-back and actually gets, I think, too far in so that then when the ball's played out wide and then back in, I think he's a little bit out of position. But, again, you know, bit of readjustment if we're going to be changing that back line, I guess.
2: Yeah, so of course, this is just Sean and Sam's view. But of course, we want to hear your views as well. If you've got some reaction to this, remember to tweet us because we're on Twitter all week, all the time. We're at AFCB Podcast. But as I said earlier, more importantly, we want your views for the Watford game. You can give us a call, 01202 Forty-eight, or why not send us a voice note too. All the details are on our website and that's afcbpodcast.com.
1: Yeah, and also if you do want to go a little bit more in depth into the analysis of the game, then do check out All Departments podcast with Michael. He does a really great job each and every week. He breaks down the games and they really go into every incident and what the thoughts are. It's a different different fan every week on the on the show. So that is All Departments. Definitely recommend you check that out. This week, uh, is Paul Bishop, who was talking about the Everton game. So you can get double dose of your AFCB fix each and every week. Club. Sean McDonald signs a new one-year contract with the club. McDonald has been at the club for five years and would have been out of contract at the end of the season. After signing a new one-year deal, McDonald told Cherry's player that he hasn't played as much as he wants, but it's a great squad to be around. And he hopes to keep working hard, keep improving, and to get a few more minutes on the pitch. So let's hope he got an appearance fee clause in his contract to pick up that extra paycheck following his 62 minutes on Saturday against Everton. Eddie states his team is the undisputed best Bournemouth team of all time. Howe told the Daily Echo that in his mind there can be no dispute that the current crop are the best side ever to have played for Bournemouth. Although he then goes on to say that He's sure there are people that have seen more Bournemouth teams down the years that are more qualified to give an opinion than I am. So I'm not sure whether he's saying it's disputed or undisputed, but either way, I think we all agree this team's pretty damn good. Benek Afobe is considering whether to pledge his international football allegiance to the Democratic Republic of Congo. Afobe was interviewed by Sky Sports at the JD Sports Store in Bournemouth, where he stated... Himself, his agent and his family will sit down to consider his options. This is after hearing that the Democratic Republic of Congo are looking at approaching him. The striker has played from under-12s to under-21 level with England, but has yet to get a look into Roy Hodgson's side. That's probably just because he doesn't play for one of the English-certified Premier League clubs, such as Man United or Liverpool. But I digress. So could this news be his way of sneaking a call-up from Roy ahead of the Euros with a view to getting in the England squad in the future? Maybe. In a further Congo-related digression, I remember going to see the movie Congo at the UCI cinema at Tower Park. I can't remember much about it other than there was one pissed-off gorilla on the screen for most of the film. So if I was a phobe, for that reason alone, I'd be choosing England. Sylvain Distan was meant to be in the south of France four years ago. And no, this wasn't due to a dodgy sat-nav purchase from Wimborne Market. Instead, this was his original three-year plan when he had joined Everton in 2009, whereby he expected to start for two years, be on the bench for the third, and then head off to the south coast of France to drink wine and eat cheese. Instead, he has found himself on the south coast of England drinking energy drinks and offering valuable experience to the Cherries. Talking to the Daily Echo, he has said he will consider his options at the end of this season as to whether he will finally hang up his boots.
4: Hi, this is The Biggin, Steve Fletcher, and you're listening to Back of the Net.
2: So it's been a very interesting last seven days on Twitter, we've all been trying to come to terms with Bournemouth's lacklustre home performance against Stoke City. Tony Pulis's side came with a plan and they adopted it. Well, of course it wasn't actually Tony Pulis's side, it's Mark Hughes as we know, but it might as well have been. As Mike Brannan tweeted during the game, it's all been foul, 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 foul. goal, foul, foul, foul and that pretty much sums it up. We lost 3-1 and after the game though in amongst the word searches from Boscombe Cherries and the four day old stories being recycled by Bournemouth wag Becky Farrow. Is she real? Course she's not. There was a fair bit of negativity. However, this was superseded on Sunday by some well-thought-out tweets, including Sam Summers, who tweeted, The negativity astounds me. We're AFCB, we're in the Premier League, we're 15th and we're four points clear of the drop. Gained some perspective. And Ryan Kingham said, Some of the hysteria on the AFCB timeline since Saturday has been ridiculous. I'd have bitten people's hands off for this position in August. It's clear that the team simply had an off day, and less cot we forget, they weren't tweeting pictures of their eighty K Mercedes an hour after the match finished. Poor form Jolian. You wouldn't see Pewy doing that would you? But speaking of Pewy, he was one of many AFC Bournemouth players who tweeted congratulating the ginger Zidane, Sean MacDonald, after he secured a new one year deal for the Cherries. He even suggested that him and Maca go for a hashtag Costa Celebration. Mine's a flat white Pewy. But also elsewhere, people on the AFCB timeline were keen to show their support to Macca with many congratulatory tweets, including Martin Godfrey, congrats on the news, Sean. Wenders, who tweeted, great news, well done, Sean. Jeff, with all the Zs, who tweeted, congratulations. And quite an old school congratulatory message by Mrs. Nige on Twitter, who said, hooray. So as it approached the Everton game, talk was rife about the suggested changes that Eddie Howe would make ahead of the visit to the Toffees. As we all know, from the cup visit to Villa Park last year, it could be a completely different side. But Stu Bramley, after seeing the under-21 line-up who played in the week, said, Read into that what you will about the line-up to face Everton, as the under-21s very much featured an unknown starting eleven. But the team news was announced on Twitter and like a Harry Arter stumble into the penalty box, it didn't go down very well. Peter Humphrey tweeted, I'm sorry, but you don't get a couple of rounds from Wembley with no midweek fixtures coming up and change most of the team. Hashtag no excuse. And then Oz Arnold tweeted, Disappointing that Eddie Howe didn't choose a full strength team. But on the other hand, Janine Sparks tweeted, With a bit of positivity, Welcome back to Dean Court Elphick. And then Chris Hubble also tweeted, Good team. Of course, though, the result was not as we wanted. A deflected Barkley shot and then a Lukaku finish made it 2 0 to the Toffy Men. And then some of the tweets afterwards were, I told you so. Duncan Graham tweeted, Shearer summed that up perfectly. Someone was watching the BBC. Everton deserved to win because they put out a full strength team. Hashtag AFCB. And then Mark Sinkinson tweeted, Our first team may be good enough to stay in the Premier League, but our squad most definitely isn't. And then Mike then tweeted, Disappointed with the result, but not the performance considering the team we put out. Next week, more important. Bring on Watford. Now elsewhere, over on the Vital Forum, let's just check out this thread about Max Gradle being back for the Watford game. Let's go to page 5. Oh, they're talking about religion. This is a bit too deep. Next... The forum also placed a lot of prominence on Juan Iturbe. <laughs> Sorry about that. As Kerry Payton once said, there should be a great chant that says, there's only Juan Turbe. Come on, let's get that going, lads. But he put in a great shift against Everton, and it seems that many people have changed their minds about him. Joe Fraser said, in his defence, he's not fully match fit yet, he doesn't know the language, and he hasn't had the time that Eddie says is so important for new players to integrate the way we play. And then the Alchemist replied, Iturbe would make a great support striker stroke forward. We just need to set the rest of the team and formation up to make that work. And then Cockbeard said, I like the look of the lad, but also wonder if his passing is really light years ahead of his teammates or just bad. In the meantime, Wimborne Sherry says, Slightly different, but I thought King played well yesterday and when he came on against Stoke too. I think that he should and deserves to start against Watford. What do you think? You can tweet us on afcbpodcast or you can like us facebook.com slash Podcast, or why not email us on fans at afcbpodcast.com
1: Thanks Sam for your uh, online review of all things AFCB and Sam will be doing another review on episode 2 next week but now we're going to move on to the interview you've all been waiting for here's our interview with Steve Jones Hi Steve and welcome to Back of the Net Hi, Sean. How are you, mate? I'm very well, buddy. How are you? Yeah, very well, mate. We're going to go back to 1994 initially. So, Tony Pulis had left us at the end of the season and uh, after some pretty shocking football and pretty average results. And we started that year in trouble. I think it was Willow and Mark Morris were caretaker managers. And then we'd lost seven on the spin and then Mel Machin joined us. And then it wasn't long after that that he started signing some players, one of which was yourself from West Ham. So how did yep. you first hear about Bournemouth's interest and kind of looking at where we were in the league, were you a bit worried about coming to us?
5: Um, oh, obviously, Bournemouth and West Ham had a bit of a link, uh, obviously because of Harry as well and a few other things. And I think that, that sort of turned out to be for me to go on loan when obviously when I weren't playing, I was planning reserves at West Ham. I was in and out of the side, sub a lot of the time. Um, and obviously Bournemouth come in for me to go on loan, and that was it really, and obviously I went on loan, uh, done quite well, didn't overly do great, but it was in a, it was in a struggling side at the time, I think, or, or it was early in Mel Machen's building of that side, really, and uh, I think I played, I'm not sure, I think I had a month there, and then I signed permanently.
1: So obviously Harry had told you some good things about the club?
5: Yeah, Harry had obviously said about the club because he was there himself and uh, and said how good it was there and it's a great place to live and uh, that was it really and I was off to there really. And I, I, I did look at the league table obviously but that sort of thing never really bothered me and that was probably because I played in non-league with Billericay that it, it was it, even though it was going down from West Ham it was also because I played at non-league level it's also still up from where I was obviously, two or three years previously.
1: Right. Now, with, with I mean, obviously, once you were settled in and with a few of the other new guys we'd got, we started turning it around. And, I mean, I know we've got what's what they call, the, the what is called the great escape now, obviously, with what Big Fletch did against Grimsby and keeping us in the league. But we kind of, you know, this was the original great escape, as it was called, back in that season, because we started going on that incredible run where I think after, well, we had nine points at Christmas and then all of a sudden we just started winning games. And I remember I was going every week and we had that belief that we were going to stay up. Coming into three games to go, I went away to Swansea and and we'd won, I think, the previous three. And we lost that one 1-0. Yeah, yeah. But we went into that second to last game away at Brentford, where Brentford were looking to go up. We were still in the trouble at the bottom of, well, what was then the second division, which is League One. And I remember going to that game, and for me, that is still the greatest Bournemouth game I have ever been to. We went into that game a bit nervous, but we needed to get a result to try and keep us in the hunt. How were you boys leading up to that game, knowing you were playing Brentford, who were a good side?
5: Um, Funnily enough, Brentford were, I think I think they were the, top or second at the time, weren't they? Yeah, they were. They were right in the hunt anyway for the playoffs or, or to get promoted. Uh, and they had a good side. I remember they had Nicky Forster up front. Um, the two centre asked were decent players. I think one went on to play for Birmingham for quite a while. Uh, yeah, they were a really good side. And we were quite, to be honest with you, we were quite a young side. And it weren't really, I was one of the older ones, and I weren't really that old. You know what I mean? So we didn't really think about nerves or anything like that. And I think that's probably why we went on such a good run. I mean, I remember us going to Oxford away. And absolutely destroying them, and, and they had a really good side. Matt Elliott, but Joey Bosham. Uh, I just think we got a we had a young side, and we believed in ourselves a bit. And I think that's what got us out of it, really. And obviously Mel Machin, who I have to say, man, to, man, man, management-wise, was uh, the best manager I probably worked with. Um, it was just it just seemed to flow, and obviously the Brentford game. Funny enough, I didn't have a great game, but. I do remember that game well, and I do remember us taking the crowd up behind the goal one end, um, and it was one-one until I think the seventy-fourth minute. I think
1: it was, and then you did one of your classic, and and you gambled on the defender missing the ball, which I saw you do time and time again. It didn't always come off, but when it did, you were through, and obviously you stuck the stuck the goal away. And I remember you sprinting back to halfway, and I, I can still I still get hair stand up and thinking about being in that away yeah. end when that ball okay. went in. It was it was a special Funny special enough. day.
5: It it was, and funny enough, uh, I would have sprinted the whole of the pitch and and been in front of the crowd, as you know. I did it a few times. uh, uh, I've done it at loads of places, that sort of thing, if we was away from home. But the funny thing was, Mel Machen had pulled me over in about the 60th minute and proper give it to me. Said, you any chance you doing something, blah, blah, blah. Just generally playing the game, I suppose. And obviously, while I've scored and I've gone straight to the bench, (laughs) <laughs> to, say, to say that's what I could do and if you have a look at the video I am so pumped up it's unbelievable I think I've got about two or three people hanging off of me and they still can't stop me yeah right
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was an incredible I mean it was just an incredible game and, and I remember the scenes afterwards obviously all the boys are up up in our in our end at the you know and because I think after that result we, we knew that I well, the fans I think knew that we'd done the business. I mean, we we had Shrewsbury the last game of the season at home, which got moved to the Tuesday, so we actually played before everyone else, didn't we? And
5: yeah, yeah, because of the bank holiday thing, where it was
1: it. Yeah, that's Street right. Ride? Yeah, it was because <laughs> of, yeah, we thank Leeds for that. But yeah, so we we got to play a bit early, and again, I remember that night. But I, I mean, I mean, you know, the funny thing is, I didn't score that night, right?
5: But I remember the game really, really well. Um, and the reason I remember it well as well is because Neil Perrett was the reporter, and he gave me a ten in the <laughs> paper the next day, and I didn't score. And I always remember that because not strikers, even if they get hat tricks at the time, only get eights and nines. But he gave me a ten, and that was a, like such a rare thing, and that's why I always remember it. And I, to be honest with you, I did have a really good game, but I just didn't, didn't just didn't score, I suppose. But we destroyed Shrewsbury within about thirty minutes, I think.
1: Yeah, we were three 0 up, and it was it was game over and party time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was thirteen thousand there, was there fourteen thousand? Uh, o- officially, I- I've heard rumours that there were a lot more in that night, but uh...
5: yeah, I-, I could well imagine because obviously it was standing in, and there was a lot of people in them days, weren't there?
1: Yeah, it was. Now look, we so we yeah. sta- we stayed up, and that was yeah, it was. If you if you've not seen it on YouTube, there's lots of videos now. You can see of the of the great escape. Yeah, there is the
5: video. I've still got the video. I remember us all doing something with hats on and stuff before the video. Is that, have you seen that? Yeah, you had, sure. that's
1: right. You had. Um, there was barbed wire and all that and you had to crawl underneath yeah. and all that stuff.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then obviously, what was his name? Bill Gardner, was it? Gardner? Ken Gardner. Ken Gardner, that's it, yeah. And he was on the bus. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I remember it well.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now look, the following season, then I mean, on, there was a, there was a bit of renewed, you know, hope in the team. It, like you said, it was a young side, and you got was it twenty three goals that season?
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely best season. So yeah, yeah, it was a good season. I think we was a bit unlucky that season not to get in the playoffs. Uh, we were quite strong, you know, uh, but I think. Um, I think I got injured for a little bit, and a couple of others got injured, and we just lost our way. I think in a few periods in that season that cost us. But we had quite a strong side then. You know, I mean Jason Brissett was, for me, was a good player. Youngie, Scott, me, obviously we can go for them all. Beardo, you know, what I mean uh, Fletch, all, all them players. John Bailey. We, we, had, we had a Matty Holland. We had a, we had a decent side then.
1: We did. I, I always think my my thing with Jason Brissett was, if you if you won the luck with a couple of minutes to go, there was no one else you wanted to give the ball to that to take it in the corner than Jason Brissett because he could keep it in there for twenty minutes, eh?
5: Yeah, he was he was on his day, frightening, but didn't have enough days. I mean, I don't know what happened to Jason. I don't know if he drifted out of the game. But obviously, I didn't really keep note of it, but you know, I mean, on his day, untouchable, but he just didn't have enough days for the ability that that he had. If you know what I mean,
2: yeah.
5: He, he should have played in the Premier League,
1: really. Yeah, he had the talent. Yeah, just not every week yeah, was
5: definitely. it. He had the talent, the pace, the strength, but it just obviously didn't go that way for him. So
1: now I've got I've got to mention that season, Jonesy is uh, that game at Peterborough. Uh, so we were we went one nil up. We then went 3-1 behind, we got back to 3 all we went 4-3 down, we got it back to 4-4, four, four. and then there was a certain goal that became the winning goal from yourself. Could, do you want to just talk us through what happened for that goal?
0: Um,
5: i talk about the game, to be honest with you. Steve Robinson was over was a row with Gary Breen that day. Uh, he was the centre-half, he was about to move to Tottenham, and he was giving it to me all game. And to be honest with you, I, I were not having a great game, I was doing all right. I was working hard. I nearly got on the end of a couple of crosses. Chris Casper nicked a goal off me, got in front of me. Um, but, and then the ball got played long from Deirdre, I think, or, or Youngy. And I latched on to one and just dinked over the keeper. And I, obviously I went berserk. I ran. I must have ran, ran the pitch virtually the whole time. Give it to their bench. Give it to their crowd. Uh, because obviously I was getting wound up by this Gary Breen situation. And it obviously he'd been giving it to me, and then uh, and then the ball got played I think down the left hand side, and someone played it into me on the far corner of the box, and I just I think where I was so tired from the celebration of the first goal because it was straight afterwards, I just flicked it up and hit it, and it was just one of those things that flew in the top corner.
1: Again. Luckily. You can see that on YouTube as well. The old video from I've no, no, seen it,
5: see it on YouTube. It is a really good goal. <laughs> really good goal.
1: After that, Steve, you, you left us, you know, and you went you went back to West Ham and then, yep. then went to to Charlton. Yep, Charlton after West Ham. And then you you came back to us on loan for a little spell.
5: Yeah, yeah, I come back for I think four games or five games and did once again just hit the ground running from where I'd left it really. Um, scored five or four goals in four or five games, uh, done really well. And at the time, I nearly signed back there, but I think there was things in the paper saying that I was a monster, money, this, that, and the other. But I wasn't really, so I don't think it was an issue of money. I just don't think it happened. Or Curbs obviously didn't want to sell me, and and it paid benefit for Charlton because the day I went, I went back on the Friday, other Saturday, um, they had Man City away on the Tuesday and he said I was I was coming, I was sub blah, blah, blah. So I've gone up there, come on at half-time and scored twice. So it, uh, we drew 2-2. Two, two. So it, it benefited Cholt and Macarie that I went out on loan and done well at Bournemouth.
1: Now, so Steve, with, you know, well, as we all know, with Bournemouth, most of our history until the very, re- very recent has been littered with financial issues and just all sorts of go- comings and goings. Over your spell, I mean, predominantly when you were with us full-time, but... What was it like as a player dealing with those financial constraints and the way the club was run back then like on a day-to-day basis? How was it for you?
5: Um, it was hard work, obviously, but none of us really none of us really bothered about that. I mean, we got paid from the bar a couple of times in cash. Um, and, but, but Mel Machen was really good and he kept spirits up. We didn't really have a training ground. We trained here, there and everywhere. We'd go running down the pier a couple of days a week. I mean, I remember um, when, the day I scored the hat-trick against Peterborough on the opening day. Um, I went and see the boss afterwards, said I had a couple of issues, blah, 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 at home. And he went, oh, Steve, just come back Thursday. I'll see you Thursday. And this was Saturday. You know what I mean? So once again, that was his man management, by saying, look, he's, he's done his job, he's fit as anything. I ain't got to worry about him. And, and that was it, really. But... You know, it, it, was, it was tough then for the club, but I don't think... I don't know, I quite, I quite enjoyed that. You know, I, I quite, I quite like that. I quite like being the underdog and, you know I mean, having to fight for this, that and the you other. Know, it's never really bothered me, that. So, it's quite quite enjoyable. It was enjoyable. Great times for me. Great times, especially, obviously, the staying up, the greatest game. And even the following season, even though it finished... It didn't finish great for me, even though I scored 23 goals and I just left. You know, it, it was still a really good season for me. And, you know, I mean, like I said, I've always loved it there and it's a great place to be.
1: Now, you played with Eddie for a while, didn't you? Um, yes, yeah, for a little while, not long, though.
5: No. I think he was just breaking breaking into the sort of the first team frame at the time.
1: What what have you made of his rise as a, as a player and then as the manager he is now?
5: Incredible. You know, I mean, it's an incredible job he's done. He's obviously a great, great manager uh, to have done that. I mean, I know Jase and Tinder well. I was, uh, Mel Machin asked me a few times about Jase before he signed him. So, and I was quite, I instigate, not instigated to move, but I certainly helped out in that. They're obviously a really good team. Um, obviously, Eddie's number, number one. Um, and he's just done a, just done a
1: fantastic job. Is that Eddie phoning you now there in the background? Wanting a couple <laughs> of goals from you, eh?
5: you know what? How nice would it be to go and play there now?
1: Oh, It's a bit different, eh, to the times when you were there.
5: Yeah, it's massively different. But, I mean, football changes all over. Look at West Ham. West Ham are about to leave their ground. You know what I mean? Football does change. And Arsenal left theirs. And obviously Bournemouth rebuilt theirs. You know what I mean? It's only people that remember... Going and 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 I, and I think that's the great thing about it. I remember oh, some of the nights, the Tuesday nights and the games when we was up against it, we were fighting for our life. Every game was always so important now. You know what I mean? Because like you said, we had nine points at Christmas, so the moment I went there, really, we we was up against it. So, but I, I think maybe that's why Bournemouth are oh, 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 where they are now because they've had to fight for so long and they found someone in Eddie Howe. R- and he took them on the crest of a wave, and long may it continue. I watched them this year at West Ham; they were a different class.
1: Yeah, that was a great win for us.
5: And they've obviously lost Callum, um, and that's a, that's a big loss. When you lose them goals, that's a big loss. So, and and they've still done really well considering that. So you've got to hold it to, and and it to them. They've done great, and obviously the new striker they've bought. You know, I mean, he, he looks he looks handy, he looks useful, so. Oh, I think they're definitely standing the Premiership. That's for sure.
1: You think they'll stay up?
5: Oh, definitely, without a shadow of a doubt. It, it, it'd be very harsh if they didn't. There's a lot. There's a lot worse uh, teams out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I know um, Eddie often shows the players uh, old history videos of the club, so they know that where where the club has come from. And I, I would imagine that the Great Escape is probably included in that, just to give the the current players really a bit of that backstory as well.
5: Yeah, yeah, maybe. Like you said, there's been two great, escape, great escapes. Not many clubs have had
1: that, have they? <laughs> and look at us now. Hey, look, Steve, we're just going to wrap up just with a couple of quick questions just just to get your, sure. your, your favourite things. So what do you reckon was the best goal you scored for us?
5: A lot of people would say Peterborough and it would probably be close to Peterborough. Blackpool away when we lost 4-1, I think. I scored a great one of my volley from about 35 yards, I think. Um, what other goals maybe my hat-trick the diving header in the hat-trick from John Bailey's cross yep that was a really good goal at Peterborough at home yeah but you'd probably have to go with a Peterborough 5-4 goal
1: <laughs> yeah right <You're> just... <laughs> hey what was your funniest moment as a Bournemouth player
5: as a Bournemouth player funny enough my funniest moment came off the pitch uh, I remember us going downtown, I think it was four or five of us. There was me, Matty Holland, I think Fletch, maybe Youngie. There was a few of us and Steve Robinson. We was having his monobrow uh, separated. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll never forget the moment when he turned round after she'd waxed it and all of us just burst out. We was all on the floor giggling. He had obviously the biggest red spot where he had her. Uh, taking a bit of skin off as well. It was just an incredible moment. <laughs> Robbo will remember that, so if you ever speak to him, remind him of it. I'll
1: I'll send him a link on Twitter and let him hear it and see what he says. Yeah, 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 yeah. He will laugh. So, Jones, you talked about players. What do you reckon was the best player you played with while you were at Bournemouth?
5: I would have to probably go with Matty Holland because of what he, he pushed on to do a little bit more at the time afterwards. Um... But other than that, I would say Jason Brissett at times. But I would say I would say Neil Young at times. I would say uh John Bailey. I would you know what I mean? I would say there's probably a few players that I would say. Russell Beards was well, he was an excellent player. Yeah. He was a really good footballer, so it's it's hard to call, but i I'd, I'd go with Matty
1: Holland. Yeah, good call. Good call.
5: He's on my Facebook as well, so <laughs>
1: So you've got to say that, right? <laughs> now, last thing, Josie, is that we might not see the uh, last of Jones playing for Bournemouth. I hear that your son, Liam, is uh, making his way up the ranks with West Ham.
5: Yeah, yeah, he's doing all right. He's been there since he was seven. Um, obviously, he's under 10 now. So he's in his last year of seven aside. And he's doing really well. He's scored a hell of a lot of goals, hundreds of goals for him so far. Um He's got a lot to learn. He's left-footed as well, which is um, he's got that from his mum. Uh, he's quick as lightning. He scores goals, and but he's only ten years old, Sean. So, but he's at he's a good place at the moment. But we shall see how his career develops.
1: Have you have you worked on the uh, what we used to call on the on the terrace the Jonesy lunge yet? Where you know yeah, the, on cent- the what the Jonesy lunge where the centre back's just about to clear it, and you come in from the side and try and clear him out. <laughs> <laughs>
5: I don't think you would get away with that now, would you? No, times have
1: changed, <laughs> eh? <laughs> I've done that a few times, I know that. And on fullbacks. <laughs> no, yeah, do not matter who, yeah. Hey, look, <laughs> Jonesy, thank you so much for coming on back in the net. I really appreciate your time. And, you know, I, uh, the word legend isn't, is, is used, uh, I think, too frequently sometimes. But with you as a, as a fan favourite, I think we're definitely in that legend category. And, you know, hopefully we will see you down at, at Dean Court at some point in the near future.
5: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd like to go down. I been that there for a long time, so it'd be great to go down there and great to speak to you, Sean. It was quite weird, really, obviously, because your dad, you know what I mean? I was on the radio with your dad and Matty every Monday morning and now I'm doing a podcast with his son in <laughs> New Zealand.
1: I know, it's funny, eh? Hey? How times change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, Steve. Look, all the best, mate. And thanks for your time.
2: No worries, Sean. Cheers, pal. Superb interview, Sean. Jonesy came across really well there, I thought.
1: Yeah, what a nice fella. eh? I'd I'd never spoken to him before, but really interesting to talk to him. And he he, kind of said at the start of the call that I think part of him really regrets leaving us, really. I mean, you know, he was moving to a a bigger club and all that. But man, he still absolutely loves the club. Comes across very, very clearly.
2: Yeah, superb. And there was a brief uh, mention about your dad there, wasn't there?
1: Oh, yeah, just for those that that don't know, my dad Jeff Barker, who many of you will know, he was the pre Mike Boto, and for many years was the guy on the mic that kind of got everyone going. And at the Millennium Stadium, he got to go out on the pitch before the before the playoff game and have a chat but he used to do a local radio show for years and years and years and jonesy and matty used to pretty much be on the show once a week before training they'd come in together and ended up a bit like a laurel and Hardy double act, really and the other players used to come in but so that's what he's talking about where that was back then he was talking to my old man and then now he's talking to me mm, so more interviews to come then sean Yeah, hopefully we're going to try and um, track down some old former players. So if anyone out there has got any good connections to any um, players that would be worth chatting to, just um, drop us an email at fans at afcbpodcast.com. Always interested to know who's out and about. And also I'm going to try and work on getting some of the current squad as well.
2: Cool, we'll look forward to that. Right then, now on Back of the Net, here's this week's Supporter Profile.
0: Supporter Profile. Please state your name.
6: Carrie Payton.
0: Where do you live?
6: I live in Brentford.
0: First Bournemouth game attended?
6: First one I remember is uh, we were at home to Wrexham. I think it was in 99. Mark Steen scored. He won 1-0 and I was in the newsstand.
0: Favourite player of all time and why?
6: I don't think anyone would be too surprised to hear that it will be uh, Jan Kermigan. I just love the way that he's just a 100% guy. Heart on his sleeve. And he's done a lot to get us where we are today. And I just think he's ace. And he's the only player that's ever bought me a drink. So that gives him extra points.
0: Favourite current player and why?
6: Current player, I'd say Harry Arter. Probably the same reason I go with, with Jan. He's just 100% guy. He'll put a foot in. He's so committed. And I just love watching him play. Watching him drop a shoulder against a defender is just beautiful
0: to watch. Favourite all-time AFCB
6: game? Uh, I reckon that'll probably be Bolton at home end of last season just because the whole evening was just amazing. Um, just yeah, We started drinking at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon and it just carried on all evening and everyone was just in a good mood and we got up to the Premier League and it was just ridiculously amazing and I was on the pitch and yeah, there are still blanks in my memory from that night but yeah, it
0: was a great night. Best moment? as a
6: fan. I would say the Charlton game away last season because I was lucky enough to get a press pass to work and ended up being on the pitch when the trophy was given out and it was all very surprising. I was a bit shocked, didn't really take much in because I was still so much in shock. I remember turning around to the bloke I was with and saying, what are the Charlton players doing? And he said to me, well, they're doing a grad of you who just won the league and that just blew my mind. I've never seen that happen before with my my team.
0: If you could sign any player, past or present, who would it be, and why?
6: I don't think you could look much past Lionel, Lionel Messi. Sorry, I think he's um he's like the full package, isn't he? I think he could, I think he'd fit in quite well with our team. I think that yeah, he could get a goal or two with us. I think he's definitely um one of the best players that's ever been. So I don't think you could look much past him, really.
0: Your chant of choice.
6: I miss, we used to do Build a Bonfire, and we don't seem to do that anymore, and I miss that. I haven't heard that one for ages, although I'm not quite sure that the Reading on the top would fit anymore, given where Jan is. But, um, yeah, that's the one that I miss.
0: Stadium expansion or new ground?
6: I've been thinking about this, and I I think new ground, because I think that we'd have We'd have less restrictions. We'd be able to build bigger, build higher, and we'd also not have to worry about stadium sharing while we're getting everything built. I think that, yeah, we, I think that's the way forward. If you're going to do it, go big.
0: What league position will we finish in this season?
6: I think we're going to be pretty much where we are now, round about 15. I think we'll probably be a few more points clear of the relegation zone, but I think, yeah, probably steady where we are now, 15th, and that'll do me. Anything above 17th, I'll be happy with.
2: Hi, this is Steve Pershing. You're listening to Back of the Net.
1: Thanks to Kerry Payton there for being this week's supporter profile. And uh, again, if you're interested to get involved on the show, just tweet us, Facebook us, I don't know, I've been watching Harry Potter. Maybe send me an owl and tell me you want to be a supporter profile and maybe you'll be on future weeks. But uh, coming up now is a feature that that we're going to try and do um, when we can, just about different elements of the club. And this week's feature, Sam went down on a Saturday morning and uh, checked out the AFCB under-18s
2: so i 've just arrived here at the Canford Park arena, and what i 'm surprised by is the number of people that seem to be here. It looks as say there 's about two hundred here to cheer on the under eighteens, but also on an adjacent pitch in front of me we 've got the under sixteens as well and it 's uh, quite an interesting setup they 've got here they 've got two matches on at the same time but where they're played it's sort of on a bank so you've got the flat pitches but then there's a sort of little gradient in between each pitch now what they do is also film the games both the under 18s and under 16s from a height as well so they can get a decent sort of camera angle for when obviously Carl Fletcher is going to be analysing things but it's a really decent setup here at the AC Bournemouth Academy they've got uh, some toilets here and also if you want a tea and coffee or some snacks there's a little snack van too To be honest, I was expecting it to be one man and his dog, but it should be an interesting match, and kick-off is now only moments away. So I'm stood here watching after 10 minutes, it's nil-nil in the under-18s, and I'm stood next to a man called Peter, wearing a dog collar. Peter, what's your association then with the under-18s?
3: Well, I, I'm, uh, the, uh, I've am i been made the, the chaplain of the uh, Youth Academy and uh, I work alongside uh, Dawn, uh, Dawn Roach uh, and in welfare yeah. as a sort of partial support and just being there just as a presence, really. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's been really good and really enjoyed getting to know the lads and also staff and just there for everybody, just if they need someone to talk to or somebody independent to talk to or whatever. Yeah. It's just a sort of partial support and welfare support you know, of of the lads and uh, uh, staff, really, yeah. It's
2: 1-0 to Bournemouth, and it was an excellent finish from Sam Sturridge after some good work in the middle from Matty Worthington. He's a player to look out for, fantastic. Uh, Harry arted his way through the midfield and then got a shot on goal, which was saved by the up-till-now impenetrable Pompey keeper. Uh, But Sam Sturridge with a cool finish into the uh, low into the net, so uh, great start for Bournemouth, 1-0. Yes, it's been quite a tasty game so far, hasn't it? It has,
3: yeah, yeah, it has. Portsmouth are a good side. I think we've played them three times this season yeah. already. And, um, yeah, it's a very fair game, you know, fairly balanced teams. You know.
2: Fifteen minutes gone, and after some early Portsmouth pressure, it's been all Bournemouth. We just had 1-0 just a moment ago. Sam Surridge, he's popped up again with a second. Nice dinked finish, made it 2-0 to Bournemouth. And things are certainly looking rosy, because on the adjacent pitch here, the under-16s are also 1-0 up too. Would you believe it? In the blink of an eye, it's back to 2-all. Portsmouth have pulled two goals back and uh, we're not even out of the first half yet. About 35 minutes gone. To be fair, it's such a physical game. A couple of defensive slip-ups for AFC Bournemouth and uh, we're back to 2-all. It sort of mirrors the first team at times. However, there's still enough firepower in this AFC Bournemouth under-18 side to actually secure this game. So 2-all uh, after 35 minutes here. Yeah, I've actually been really surprised by the standard. I mean, you know, these lads are so developed, aren't they?
3: Oh, yes, they are. They are. There's a lot of work. And they're in, oh, Ooh, close chunks close there. Close by Sam Sorry, that yeah, was... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good, yeah. It's good, and, and uh, the, the balance is good. And uh, they, they work really hard in training and sports science and all sorts of things, you know.
2: Would you believe it? 3-2 to Portsmouth. From a corner, Obi Saidi with the headed goal. He's their number 16 uh, centre-back for Portsmouth. Rose above everyone. He is a tall lad, to be fair. But an assured header into the back of the net, past the players on the line. It's now 3-2, and the half-time whistle's imminent, surely. Oh, 4-2. Good goal. Wonder goal, actually, from their left midfielder, uh, Bournemouth... Uh, Had a bit of a lapse, Portsmouth went on the attack and the ball sort of just broke outside the box and he lobbed everyone, including the keeper, planted it from the left into the top right-hand corner. Lovely curled finish and uh, they've been wheeling away in celebrations but fair play, that was an excellent goal. And Bournemouth have been undone here, so it's 4-2 and on the uh, pitch just behind me, it's 3-1 to Portsmouth as well. So two teams in blue are winning. Penalty! To AFC Bournemouth, they've been putting on the pressure in the last 20 minutes and uh, watched on by Klaus Jorgensen to my left and Steve Purchase, they got a penalty so uh, yeah, there's about, what is it 15 minutes to go maybe but uh, Sam Surridge is now going to step up for the penalty for AFC Bournemouth not quite sure what happened in the box I think it may have been a shirt pull or something like that but uh, he's just stepping up now Oh and what a lovely finish Superb into the bottom right hand corner Left the keeper going the other way But superb hat-trick for Sam Surridge there Excellent finish He's scored a hat-trick Is there time left for an equaliser Or maybe even a winner? Ugh, final score then it's 3-4 uh, Portsmouth emerged victorious but it was a very good performance and an excellent game for the neutral uh, I've mentioned a few players already uh, Matty Worthy in midfield Sam Sarge up front got to have a big shout out as well to Ollie Hartfield left back Charlie Daniels his way down the left a number of times he's a really committed strong lad very pacey too it's quite nice to see that the style of football um is being adopted. This first team style is being adopted throughout the sort of through the development side, under 21s, under 18s, etc. So it's um really good to watch. Obviously Steve Purchase and Carl Fletcher are all singing from the same hymn sheet as what Eddie Howe is. But um if you haven't been come down to one of these matches it's um it's a really good morning actually now the next match is march the 5th i think uh, check on the afcb website afcb.co.uk I think it's Luton Town at home, uh, half past 11 kickoff. but come down, you can get a coffee down here, go to the toilet when you want, you won't be peeing in a bush, don't worry about that, and uh, just watch some some excellent players. Now, Klaus Jorgensen was down here today. Um, I had a brief uh, chat with him, uh, glad to say that he's doing well, and uh had a brief chat with Steve Purchase as well, but um, there were probably about yeah 200 people here in total, so I'm um, really impressed by what I have seen and uh, the future's certainly looking bright for AFC Bournemouth. A f- really physical game. Yeah, fantastic. And hopefully some of these players will be donning the red and black of the first team at some point in the future.
5: Hi, this is Gary Chapman, the bloke who stands in the back of the North stands shouting up the cherries. You're listening to Back of the Net.
1: Thanks, Sam, for going down and checking out the under-18s there. And uh, great feature and seemed like you were really concerned about the toileting facilities, but it sounded like you were ecstatic by the end of the day.
2: Yeah, I certainly was. I mean, they weren't uh, toilets from the Ritz, but uh, no,
1: good to have the facilities there. And it's a really good set there. That's something the Nan would say. Yeah? Well, do you have a nice day, Nan? Oh, great toilets. <laughs> yeah, it was good to know. And also, more importantly, good to know we've got some good young talent coming through the ranks. But uh, as we mentioned in the not-the-first episode, which was our preview show released last week, it is obligatory that we always wear AFC Bournemouth shirts for the podcast. So I trust uh, wherever you are in the world listening that you're doing the same. Um, I'm kind of living in the past a little bit wearing my 1998 auto windscreen shield limited edition Wembley shirt. And uh, I was hoping I'd be wearing this because we're on the march having beaten Everton. But um, Sam, you see, you obviously you know knew what was going to happen. Here you are wearing your very modern, up-to-date Premier League Bournemouth shirt. Yeah, I certainly am. And you know what? Your shirt
2: brings back memories. Jamie Vincent, Ian Cox, Russell Beardsmore. And that goal from John Bailey. Ah, oh, those were the days. And you know what? I still have nightmares about Wayne Bennett's golden goal winner. And... Oh, how upsetting was
1: that? Oh, I remember the silence when it went in, because it was the first time we'd experienced Golden Goal, and it was like, oh,
2: oh is that it? Oh, it is it. But uh, Just stop talking about it, Sean,
1: please. Yeah, sorry. So, just one thing about my shirt is uh, I actually got it for free because uh, my dear old mate Ian Stockley, who was a massive, massive Bournemouth fan, sadly no longer with us, he rode into Soccer AM and actually got a group of us to be the first ever AFC Bournemouth Fans of the Week. So, we got to go up onto the studio and were on the show, and then took the penalties in the car park, <laughs> and uh, I slotted one in the back of the net. But that's um, the story about how I got my shirt and obviously, Sam, you with your Premier League shirt, we are back in the big time this weekend as we visit Watford on Saturday afternoon or Sunday morning if you're down in the Southern Hemisphere like me, 4am start. Lovely. Uh, But how do you think we're going to go in that game, Sam? Going to be an interesting one, Twitter's not going to be the place to be
2: if we uh, come away empty handed because you know those Watford fans like to um, goad us somewhat. But, um, yeah, team lineup wise, I think we can pretty much predict the defense. Uh, obviously, Boris goal midfield, obviously, we'll have uh, Gosling, Harry Arter, Sermon, the wingers. Oh, you know, of course we'll have Benicophobia up front. Now, the two wingers, not sure. Matt Ritchie was rested somewhat. Maybe he's going to come back in. Stanislas on the left, perhaps. What are you thinking?
1: Yeah, I know a lot of people are saying a turbate has got to start. A has got to start. I'm not sure whether that's going to happen this week, but it's going to be, a, it's go, I think it's going to be a tough game. I th- I've i got a feeling it's going to be a goal fest. So I'm, going to, I'm calling it out now, so you know it's going to be nil-nil. I'm going to go 3-2 th- to to us possibly even 4-3 I reckon it's going to be a classic
2: well myself I don't know um it's a really difficult one to call uh the first match of course that was one all at Dean Court and they were gifted that um I don't know I'm gonna be I'm gonna put my
1: optimistic head on and go 2-1 Bournemouth good to hear. So two victories coming up. Hey, look, we hope you've enjoyed episode one of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Um, We've enjoyed bringing it to you. Um, There's so many ways you can listen to this, but I don't even need to tell you because you're listening to it now. So somehow you've found us. So whatever you've done, keep doing it because it works. Um, We're going to be back next week. So um, thanks very much, Sam. Yeah, thank you very much, Sean, too. And we'll be back next week. This has been Back Back of the Net. Back of the Net! Richie. Oh Maybe on Walker. Pew. Oh Pew.